1138, prefix THX, is pronounced incurable and shall be conditioned and held in detention. THX was a parable about the way we were living in 1970. It wasn't about the future. And be happy. George was very um, susceptible and is to this day to the notion of empire crushing humanity. THX 1138 didn't have a Luke Skywalker in it. Didn't have that kind of mythic hero, you know. It was actually, I think, a much more complex film. What's wrong? What you see in THX that you see in Star Wars is, is the idea of somebody fighting against a more powerful kind of force. Six people and they'll wait for three. Blast points. This is Jason and Gabe. What else can you talk about on episode one three eight, except for George Lucas's first film, the classic THX one and three eight? Is it a classic? It's classic to some people. Just because something's a classic doesn't mean you have to like it either. So I think whether whether people like it or not, it's still a classic at this point. That's a good point. <laughs> So we later are going to be going all into THX 1 and 3, 8. It's history. It's continuing influence on all things Star Wars. But first, we are so deep in Return of the Jedi month for so long that we haven't been able to go over the news. We're super behind. So let's tear through some of the headlines that have happened in the last month that we've missed out on. Let's start with episode 9. So what's going on? What did we miss? Yeah, well, the biggest thing is filming has definitely started. And there were some photos floating around that you may or may not want to see that definitely show things being filmed. We'll leave it at that for uh, people who don't want to know. But that was that's exciting. And it's for real and really happening. 
I think that was the big thing without going into what's in those photos of just like, it's it's happening. <laughs> they weren't goofing us. They're making a new Star Wars movie somewhere right now. And they're somewhere outside. Like they're they're going all out. It's not like they're hiding in a basement somewhere filming this movie. <laughs> so it's going to just keep going and keep getting crazier. So there's that. And then they just keep casting people, which it's funny to me because whenever they cast someone new, I kind of am surprised because for whatever reason, I think. I just feel like at this point, like two movies in, they they have enough characters. I don't need to cast any new people, but that's kind of ridiculous because there's always needs to be new people in a new movie. Yeah, I no, I think the same thing. Where it's just like this is the last movie in this story, or so they say. Who are all these new people coming in? <laughs> so new folks coming in. We got Dominic Monahan, who we all remember from Lost and uh, Lord of the Rings movies. Who knows who he's playing? I have no clue. I have the faintest idea who he's going to be. A pilot, maybe? Could be. Maybe he'll play a horse. He could be a creature. A robot. Not a droid. A robot is a new thing for Star Wars. And they also cast Matt Smith. Who probably most of our listeners know from Terminator Genesis and nothing else. But I like that he was described as playing a key role. Hmm. I bet you he's Ray's mom. Every new cast member that comes on, even uh, Carrie Russell, everyone jumps on the idea that they're playing Thrawn, even though it really it makes no sense for Thrawn to be in the movie or for Thrawn to be no matter the age of any of these actors or actresses that they're casting. Nobody's talking about with Matt Smith or Dominic Monaghan, Snoke Jr. I would think uh, Matt Smith would make a good Snoke Jr. A young Snoke. <laughs> Maybe they can just call him New Snoke. And then they'll have like Snoke, Snoke Classic and New Snoke. <laughs> Snoke Zero with an H on the end. Watch out! Kind of tastes like something, but it's got no calories. Oh, new Snoke. I'm ready for new Snoke. Snoke Jr. You know, it's like when we said Carrie Russell was Lady Snoke. There's the Knights of Wren are going to get go up against the, the Queens of Snoke or something. Queens of the Snoke Age. He's got his own group. If Matt Smith just looked like as is, but had a bald head and a gold robe. Trying to look like my daddy. I want revenge. Is it 2019 yet? You know, and I like too that... There was all that hoopla with J.J. Abrams posting that picture, and that's all we've gotten, and that was like pretty much a month ago now. Do you think J.J. Abrams forgot his password for Instagram to, to post another photo or something? Like, come on. His kids went back to school, and they're like not around to log in for him. <laughs> so I have to wait till there's like holidays when his kids come home from school. When the spy photos leaked out, I was like, oh man, they're going to post something official now to kind of divert attention over from the spy photos but no just nothing just you know dominic monahan's in the movie and the guy from terminator genesis that's it and they're yeah they're really uh scooping up all the terminator uh genesis alumni aren't they amelia clark who's next i think if you want to know the secrets of star wars episode nine i think you got to go back and watch terminator genesis again Somehow it's all making sense. Maybe Snoke Jr. was actually in Terminator Genesis. Maybe they're trying to hint it's all about time travel now. Episode 9 is going to be about a killer app. (laughs) That's how they take down the First Order. The killer app. Poe Dameron's like, I've discovered the ultimate app. 
the only thing better than my piloting skills is how killer this app is. Like, man, that JJ is a genius. So also there was lots of news going on about resistance. It's the resistance. There was a trailer that came out since that we haven't got to talk about yet. And then since then, uh, everyone's favorite website, ew.com, had another video with uh, an interview with Filoni talking about it and some of the other people on the crew. And he's going over the characters and Team Fireball and all that stuff. How they're not really pilots, they're actually racers. A little bit of speed racer action going on. And the green guy is a uh, Nikto, right? Pretty cool. And he's got like a little tiny little pet frog blob thing that's pretty awesome. And there's a droid with no, uh, astromech droid with no plates on it. Wearing like a rebel helmet thing. I don't know. So what? what's your general impression of Resistance right now? I'm really interested to see it because it's the most different Star Wars thing we maybe have ever gotten since like the droids cartoon. <laughs> Because it's just, it does. It looks very different, and it's it's exciting to me to see something that Star Wars that really the art style is totally different than anything we've had. And it's about other than BB-8, it's like all new kind of looking stuff, which is exciting. I'm looking forward to it in that, except for you know, we're probably going to see Kylo Ren and probably Snoke will make an appearance and Leia will be in it, but there's not going to be like a Jedi proper. In it, and I'm gonna be like, and here's your Jedi character doing Jedi stuff to come in and save the day. It almost has like a droids cartoon kind of vibe to it, where these are just stories going on in one part of the universe, Clone Wars and Rebels, both of them leading up to them. I was never really sold on them until I actually started watching the shows. Where Rebels, I was hot and cold with it a lot, but I don't know. I, I have a feeling once I start watching resistance and as if it's as fun and as kid based as the trailers are kind of looking like more directly kid bait where all star wars is kid based but this is really they're you know saying kids are gonna really dig this when i hear that i'm like well then i'll probably dig it too <laughs> it's like this a star wars pod race event every episode if the if every episode has a race in it at some point or it's like if it's anything like a star wars version of the speed racer movie like I have no complaints about that, where it's just a family of racers that happen to run into the First Order from time to time. I think it looks great. Can't wait. And it's like just about a month away. It's right around the corner. As long as you can stay up till 10 p.m. to watch the premiere. <laughs> I, I, I like that they're putting on at 10 p.m. because they're like, kids are going to watch it online whenever. But we know you old weirdos will <laughs> They could put it on at 3.30 in the morning, which I think Rebels for a while was coming on around that time. And people were still, yeah. I'm making the coffee. I got the pot going. Got to see what Ezra's up to this week. <laughs> so last bit of news that happened while we were off doing Return of the Jedi Month was the big Star Wars TV show. Ooh, mysterious. The family favorite of all time. Frost will be with 
So first of all, there's rumors that were like a month ago. The whole thing could be about Mandalorians set like what? After Return of the Jedi in between episode six and seven, which I think Favreau confirmed that it's in between six and seven. But whole thing is like Mandalorian based. It's not what I would have picked, but it could be cool because that was kind of with Clone Wars. I never thought I would enjoy the Mandalorian stuff as much as I did in Clone Wars. So there's definitely potential there. It's like when you think about what they could do with like a Mandalorian based show, it all feels very like Game of Thrones ish with like the clans and taking control of Mandalore and kind of after Return of the Jedi, like what the heck was going on there? Like you kind of get a sense of that in Rebels kind of leading up before a new hope of like, was it Bo-Katan people kind of taking over if that's the way it goes it'll probably be cool but again like what do you do for a star wars tv show i don't know like i feel like everybody's first guesses are it's gonna be it's gonna be a bunch of boba fett's or it's gonna be about boba fett (laughs) yeah so i feel like that's kind of like the default answer about the Star Wars tv show but i would hope it'd be something weirder than that and even if it is about mandalore that it is a much more unique story. And it's, it's an easy answer too, just because Favreau played pre Vizsla. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Cause the live action show seems hard to picture in any form, just cause it's something we've never had before. And then, yeah, the idea of what would it be? Cause realistically, if it's a TV show, maybe it makes sense to have it focused more on like what before it was just going to be the course on underworld. And maybe now it's just Mandalore, but it seems strange after being spoiled by rebels and clone wars to not have a show that's kind of just going all over the universe there were a couple um crew announcements uh, they announced the art director a guy john lord booth who worked on favreau's jungle book movie and he also worked on kong skull island that's kind of cool costumes are going to be done by this guy joe poro who, when he was announced, everyone just said, oh, well, he did stuff on Iron Man 3, and that's all well and good. But he also has a lot of other gems in his IMDb catalog. Resident Evil Extinction, Ultraviolet, Equilibrium. He's worked quite a few times with the legendary Jean-Claude Van Damme. Maximum Risk, The Quest, Universal Soldier, Double Impact. And he worked on the Jeff Speakman classic, The Perfect Weapon, and... The Forgotten Gem, Neon Maniacs, which watch that trailer on YouTube if you ever have the chance. So Joseph Poro is a little bit of a hero, and maybe this could open up, you know, a Jean-Claude Van Damme connection where JCVD could finally come into a Star Wars project. Or Mia Jojovich can come in on a motorcycle, drive up the side of a building and fight Mandalorians. I hope somebody was like, hey, Favreau, who should do the costumes? Get me the person that did Ultraviolet and dressed Jean-Claude Van Damme in the quest. (laughs) Can you find someone that did both of those? Yeah. So if it's based on Ultraviolet, everyone's going to have like breathing plugs in their nostrils and swords, flaming swords to fight with. That's kind of like the the Darksaber. So there you go. He probably was like, if it's Mandalorian, he was like, I've already done all this. Ultraviolet. (laughs) TV show is shaping up hot. There's a lot of Star Wars coming. And hopefully Jean-Claude Van Damme can be in a little bit of it. He goes where the action is. 
And if he goes somewhere where there's not action, he brings the action with him. We've never seen a Mandalorian do the splits before. Council, in its infinite wisdom, has decided these two numbers are to be disposed of. The Biochemical Forum has demands to make on their parts, however, before they are eliminated. That's the kind of efficiency that makes you proud to live in this era. What's wrong? Nothing, nothing really. I just feel that I need something stronger. If you have a problem, don't hesitate to ask for assistance. Thank you, I'll be all right. Call 348 for What's wrong? So THX 1138. With, with THX and the short film... That inspired it, THX 11384EB. It's kind of where the first baby steps towards what eventually became Star Wars began. Lucas began his first draft of THX 1138 on November 1st, 1968, which is crazy. It seems so long ago. And in this first draft of THX 1138, there's an interesting part where THX is talking to somebody else named SRT. And THX is saying that there must be something independent, a force, a reality. SRT says, you mean like OMM, which is like the the whole religious thing in THX-138. And THX says, not OMM as we know him, but the reality behind the illusion of OMM. SRT then says, there is a force, OMM, if you like, but this force is nothing more than the emotion you felt for L-U-H. This emotion is what is behind the illusion. So even right there, back in 68, Lucas is playing around with this idea in his head about the force behind all things and love and all that good stuff. A fun thing with THX going back, watching it now too, is as much as it's his first movie, it's also maybe even more than the prequels. It's pure, unfiltered, Lucas juice and it's in its rawest form. Well, and there's a lot of people that, you know, when they discuss like THX 138 and American graffiti that they're like, Oh, well that was, that was when George Lucas did real cinema, you know, and that was before he started doing those toy commercials, you know, that <laughs> star Wars movies. If you like that stuff, the themes and the influence of THX are all over the original trilogy, all over the prequel trilogy, and the spirit and themes of THX continue even now into the Star Wars movies that are coming out that George Lucas aren't directly involved in. Well, it, it's kind of like the raw Lucas ingredients that have kind of been reassembled over the years to make his other projects. They all got a little bit of THX 1138 still in them, 
somewhere in there. Some more than others, but it's, yeah, it's all kind of there. It's also, for me, I think, having not watched it for a while, too, going back, is it's really the only non-family-friendly George Lucas movie, really. There's some naked people in it. If if you try watching THS, THX 1 and 3.8 with your kids, there's a lot of stuff you got to explain. Yeah. It, it is a very strange movie, but I almost feel like if you're down with the Lucas style, it weirdly makes sense. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> that's the thing, like we were saying, that the 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 genes of THX are still running through it. So you can be like, okay, I get this because you kind of, you're going you're going deep into the Lucas mainframe with THX 1138 more so than the it's a straight shot of Lucas and it, it's not mixed with soda or anything it's interesting how Star Wars kind of ended up being at least the original one especially kind of a mix between THX and American graffiti THX being the raw unfiltered crazy Lucas and then with American graffiti trying to do something more mainstream and happy and fun that ultimately Star Wars was a mix between the two. 1642, try 612. He seems to have an 818. Can you feel this? Are you now? 4814, have you ever been? Avoid the 714 and the 2336. All right. So George Lucas started writing drafts of THX 1138 with Walter Murch, his old friend and roommate from USC. And I think they were shopping it around, and it got rejected by studios. No surprise. And their friend Francis Coppola persuaded Warner Brothers to make the movie for less than $1 million. And I think the budget, based on Francis Coppola's lucky number seven, was $777,000. And that was kind of the moment that for them, that American Zoetrope was like, hey, we actually have like our own little studio here. And Lucas was the vice president at the time of American Zoetrope. And they were like, hey, we're going to do this. We're going to make movies and we're going to live the dream. And Lucas went out to Japan to scout locations for THX 1138. I wanted it to be like the student film, which is I wanted it to take place in the real world. I contemplated the idea which Francis was very enthusiastic about, of doing the film in Japan. So I went off to Japan and saw the locations and everything and and liked it. But we realized that getting permission to shoot, like in nuclear power plants and various kinds of industrial facilities where it's going to be just an unbelievable nightmare. We got the deal, finally, for everything. We got the budget at that point, which Francis put at $777,000.77. And we realized that I didn't have enough money to go to Japan. So then we started looking for locations here in San Francisco. Fortunately, the BART system wasn't finished yet. And so we started looking at empty BART tunnels. And and I kind of started rewriting the script around the locations that I had here. They filmed the movie. They got Robert Duvall to star in the movie. Uh, Walter Murch was designing soundscapes to fill the world. You know, really, it's kind of fascinating, the the Walter Murch role in the making of this, because he really was Ben Burt before there was a Ben Burt. Well, in a lot of ways, he is. He's the original Ben Burt, because when Lucas went to look for Ben Burt, he was like, who's the new Walter Murch? So they're kind of two versions of a similar type of person. And... Potentially the perfect Lucas collaborator because 
that the making of THX even more closely mirrors the making of the prequels than it does the making of the original trilogy, just with the how much input Ben Burt had in those films versus THX, where it was kind of co-written and kind of co-edited and basically co-designed from the beginning with Malter Merch. The approach of this film was to create a visual experience and a sound experience that was uh, more atmospheric in nature and that the story is told in a very uh, subliminal way uh, in terms of the fact that sometimes the sound and the picture don't match up, uh, which gives you a rather uh, uneasy feeling. And, uh, you know, it it, it kind of takes... Sometimes the soundtrack will be talking about one part of the story and the visuals will be talking about another part of the story or two different themes going on simultaneously. Yeah, and in addition to Walter Murch, although similar to Star Wars, it isn't always talked about, Marsha Lucas was also one of the editors helping cut the movie. This was definitely, I think, her least favorite of George Lucas's films and something she never warmed up to, even though she worked on it, I think, as much, almost as much as he did. According to Brian J. Jones' biography of George Lucas, Lucas was really enjoying the editing process and was pleased the way the movie was coming together. However, Marsha wasn't so sure. Uh, while he continued to insist that it was all about emotion, Marsha didn't think it was working. Her quote is, I like to become emotionally involved in a movie, she said. I never cared for THX because it left me cold. But that sort of criticism only made Lucas angry. He told Lucas she didn't, he told Marsha she didn't understand. Apparently she continued to edit the film in line with Lucas's vision, but wasn't happy about it. Uh, her quote is, all he wanted to do was abstract filmmaking, tone poems, collections of images. Yeah, I mean, you watch his student films. That's what they are, you know. And If you don't like that kind of thing, this is definitely not the movie for you. But if you do, that is really, that's the interesting thing about going, of watching this film. And also, if you go and look at reviews and things, that was kind of the thing that people who were into that kind of tuned in on is that at its essence, it's a very simple story and a very simple script, but the way it's told through sound and visuals is what makes it something special as opposed to a standard sci-fi type story or even a standard kind of uh, oppressed society kind of story. But I think someone could say the exact same things too about American Graffiti and especially the original Star Wars. They're very simple stories, but it's the sound and the visuals and the general feeling you get watching those movies that really push it to the other level. There is an emotion there and it's just, it may not be the emotion you enjoy feeling <laughs> while watching the movie. I don't know. I wanted to uh, try to make a film that was a little bit more uh, accessible to an audience, but at the same time, I really was very much in the, in the world of abstract filmmaking and uh, visual filmmaking. It, uh, was meant to be a very stylized film, very two-dimensional, uh, very little camera movement. Uh, it was uh, designed really to be an experience, a, a metaphor about the way we lived in the early 60s, about consumerism, about conformity, uh, disintegration of emotions, uh, about trying to make everything perfect in a way that was nightmarish. What's wrong? 
So like we were saying, in May of 1970, he showed it to Warner Brothers. They didn't like it. Their idea was to move the, the shell people part at the end up to the front and make the whole thing a flashback. One thing that THX has in common with the original Star Wars is that there was the version that came out in theaters in, I believe it was 71, had, I think, five minutes cut out of it. And that has never been released on video. It came out on video in 77 with the popularity of Star Wars. And then again in the, I believe, the 2004 director's cut. But that original cut down version never released. Where I would love to see it. I guess there's not an army of people going to all the celebrations and asking when the unaltered THX is going to be out on on Blu-ray, but... You would think you know, somewhere in the world of computers, someone has a, a print of it that they scanned, but maybe not. I mean, it was no one probably realized that that was something that they wanted to, they needed to keep at the time. Well, and this was, you know, the first time that George Lucas began to develop his distrust of the whole Hollywood system. That, and, you know, the same thing happened with graffiti, and we all know the hard times making the original Star Wars, and... He started just, I don't want anything to do with all that stuff. They took away my movie. And they had to pay back the $300,000 loan made to Warner Brothers. American Zoetrope pretty much went out of business after this too, right? <laughs> like This was their opening shot of the into the world of making films and it kind of crashed and burned. I mean, it's not totally Lucas's fault since it seems like Coppola was famous for spending a lot of money on stuff. But it didn't help. The movie played at the the Cannes Film Festival or Cannes Film Festival, however you pronounce it, in in France. And George and Marcia went out there, and there were all kinds of problems out there, right? I think didn't a, like a friend of them offered to give them tickets because they they weren't being sent by the studio. They didn't actually have tickets of their own. Like I think it was someone was like, "Hey, if you guys want to, if you guys come out here, I can get you in" or something like that. And they I want to say they were didn't have any money, right? They were staying at with friends or in on the street. I don't know. It wasn't a very glamorous thing. But the best part is Cannes officials put together a press conference where Lucas could talk about the movie. But it was an event Lucas didn't even know about and thus failed to attend, much to the annoyance of his hosts. Again from Brian J Jones' uh, biography. Lucas says, I was barely able to get into my own picture, let alone get to a press conference, Lucas explained. But for a number of years, the French thought I was a real snob. I don't want to go to my own press conference. Deal with it. You got any questions about the movie? Ask the movie. In France, the movie, I mean, I don't know that it was a big financial hit, but it was a artistic hit. And people at the festival loved it and they wanted to talk to Lucas about it. They get me in France. They know what's up. <laughs> so inspired by the colossal disappointment that was THX 1138 originally, Francis Coppola had to do that gangster movie that Paramount wanted him to do. And he did okay after that. And George Lucas was left pretty much unemployed and with no money. And he moved on to lighter fare, American Graffiti, and uh, pursuing is bizarre space opera idea. That little movie called The Star Wars. No one's going to want to see that nonsense. <laughs> yeah. Keep on dreaming, Lucas. I haven't changed much over the years. It's funny, if you were to see all the films, you begin to see that there's a certain continuity of eccentric taste that flies through those movies.
So let's talk about the legacy of THX 1138 that still lives on in Star Wars past, present, and future. What are some of the themes that you took out of it when you watched it that, that resonated with you when you when you watched it recently? Well, it's definitely similar to kind of all his later movies and especially Star Wars with kind of the idea of the the everyman or average person who kind of has to step up to become the hero. Only the difference in THX is really just to be a hero. You kind of just have to make the make the effort to change your situation to kind of get up and leave. THX doesn't actually really fight anyone or try to overthrow the government. It's just like he just has to get up and get out of there. But for me watching it, I kind of was tuning in on a lot of just the visual kind of similarities and just feel to what ultimately ended up in the in the Star Wars films of just the way the movie was shot. I think the funniest one to me is kind of the iconic scene really of the film is the is the white room, the prison with no walls, the whole void thing. And the thing that I think is great is nowadays George Lucas is famous as like the guy who makes movies with just green screen. He's kind of always been doing that. It's just now he decided to put things in the background where back then he just left it white. But it's like it kind of makes sense where he ended up. Like, why is it any different to, you know, film characters in front of a, an empty void? Because he's been doing that since the beginning. Yeah, that's true. There's a lot of kind of weird experimental, small, independent project Lucas from this movie that kind of carried over to the prequels with the close relationship with the sound person who becomes, you know, kind of a collaborator and co-editor. This was a, seemed to be a similar situation where it was like, this was, you know, this was the movie George Lucas wanted to make. There wasn't someone, you know, trying to make it more other than his wife, trying to make it a little more personable to to people or, you know, mass market friendly. It was like, this is the movie he wanted to make as weird as he wanted to make it. And as goofy and maybe more kid-friendly the prequels can be, they were still just Lucas going wild kind of stuff. The one thing that I was picking up on when I when I rewatched it recently was how we are just dropped into this world of THX one three eight with zero explanation of where this is, when this is. You know, they like to say that it's a movie from the future and not about the future. But you really be like, well, what happened to mankind to get us to this this version of reality that we're watching in THX-138? And there's no explanation. But then it's like we've talked about many times, with especially the, the first Star Wars film. When that movie came out in the summer of 77, there was zero explanation Except for what De Palma made them put in the beginning, you know, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, to kind of tell people, well, you know, this is at least in space on another planet in a long time ago, whatever. But aside from that, you had no explanation on what was going on, you know. You didn't know Jawas were Jawas. You watch it now and, you know, you're just like, oh, yeah. Obi-Wan's talking about for a thousand generations, the Jedi's were the guardians of peace and justice in the old Republic. That makes total sense to us now. But if you're sitting there in the theater watching it, that's gobbledygook. THX kind of takes that to even more of an extreme with explaining even less. There's no text to tell you what's going on. You don't know if this is earth or another planet or 
what it is. And even I like uh, they talk about in the commentary on the movie how a lot of the dialogue isn't even intended to necessarily make sense. And they just kind of would make sentences and things that they thought sounded words that sounded good together, but didn't necessarily have intentional meaning for the story. And that a lot of the sounds you hear are just Walter Murch's kind of sound collages where there may be people talking and things, but they don't necessarily correspond to what you're seeing on screen. There's some beautiful things in the soundtrack, especially with the holograms of really nonsensical dialogue that is very, uh, very evocative, but completely meaningless. And we worked very hard at creating this kind of doublespeak that talks about all kinds of things, theater of noise and all kinds of stuff that uh, is really quite meaningless, but it seems to give you a very strong emotional hit uh, just by the way it's presented and, and, the, and the use of words more as poetry than any logic that you might put to it. And you'll see that used repeatedly through the movie. Sometimes we just say words. You know, we just put one word after the other that kind of gives you this kind of uncomfortable feeling or very, you know, a soothing feeling that's so soothing that it becomes uncomfortable. Can't insertion of override. It's getting into a critical phase. What's wrong? One of the biggest themes in THX 1138 is the theme of escape. Like you were saying earlier with like the white room with no walls and how THX... He's not, you know, fighting the empire to get out or something. He just kind of has to do it himself. But he, the whole theme of the movie is kind of escaping the life and the reality that they're in. If you apply that idea to just about any Star Wars movie and kind of the main characters in those Star Wars movie, it's kind of crazy how kind of up in front of your face, the theme of escape from the situation you're in is in all the Star Wars movies. Like you think of Luke especially in A New Hope, and you compare that to THX, like Luke wanted to escape from his boring life on the farm, didn't quite know how. The answer was right in front of him the whole time. Anakin? Well, he wanted to escape from Tatooine when he was a kid, same as his, same as Luke. A New Hope really is the same rough outline as THX with escape with basically the three escapes, because THX is his kind of escape from the drugs and his day-to-day, the escape from the white void, and then the the chase escape at the end. A New Hope ended up being the same thing with the escape from his life on Tatooine, Leia's escape from a prison, and then a chase at the end of the film. Only this was a chase towards something, but to escape from being destroyed by the Death Star. When you think of Rey wanting to escape her life on Jakku... And also her wanting to know so desperately who her parents are to give her life some sort of meaning. Well, she kind of wants to escape maybe from her her past because she's not willing to admit what her real past is in order to escape from it. Where she keeps thinking if she stays there, they're going to come back, but there's really no one to come back. It's kind of like THX even more so where it's she's trapped on Jakku because of herself, not because anyone's keeping her there. And it's like when she goes down into the the mirror cave in Last Jedi, kind of getting the answer, right, which has been right in front of her face, and the answer is herself. Do you think of Jin escaping her past? She doesn't want to be associated with her hist- her family history, her legacy, and then kind of in the end accepting it. You know, when she's face to face with Orson Krennic, and 
he says, who are you? I'm Jin Erso, daughter of Galen Erso, kind of accepting her past. And, you know, especially in Solo, I was getting a real solo vibe watching THX again, too. I mean, the car chase at the end of THX is very similar to the chase at the beginning of Solo. And Solo, the whole movie is escaping his past over and over and over again. And that kind of his character carries over even into the Star Wars films proper of him. He can never quite escape from his past. Not until Jedi, really, is he finally kind of free of bounties on his head and owing people money and not having a home, really. You know, there's a lot of people that say, well, you know, THX, the character is very different than Luke Skywalker. And that's true because, you know, like Luke Skywalker, we can all relate to his many ups and downs that he's had as a character. And he's very heroic and you can, he's super cool because he's Luke. But THX, I don't think anyone can relate to THX as a character. Maybe, I don't know, maybe somebody out there can. That'd be awesome. I'd love to meet that person. But it's like watching the movies, THX, if he's most like any character we've seen in Star Wars movies, I would say he's most like Anakin. I mean, aside from the little thing that THX creates robots that eventually, like, hunt him down and kill him, you know, and Anakin was pretty handy at making droids, but... But just, yeah, like, the whole idea of, you know, with Anakin and as a Jedi where they're not supposed to fall in love and they're not supposed to have relationships and they're kind of supposed to not show emotions as Jedi and by kind of throwing that aside and falling in love and kind of breaking the rules of the Jedi order or the rules of THX land, wherever they live underground, it causes a lot of, a lot of problems that ultimately end up being the right choice. Only I guess technically maybe THX has a better ending faster. He gets to see the sun at the end where Anakin ends up in a robot body for 30 years, but but Anakin also did get to see his son at the end. You're right. Because of the love that he broke the rules and had to pay the price for not allowing love into their society or that whole thing was, you know, was the biggest downfall of the Jedi and Palpatine knew it and exploited it. And who knows how much Luke still struggled with that idea. And he was still kind of angry about it in The Last Jedi, you know, the failure of the Jedi. But I think Luke started to get it toward the end there. And who knows what we'll see in episode nine with Luke. But yeah, it very much, very, very much mirrors THX's story with the forbidden love. The issue of of leaving a safe environment and going out into the unknown is a theme that I then carried on in my next film, American Graffiti, and it's also the same theme that's in Star Wars. Uh, It's been a a theme that I've always been attracted to, and uh, in this particular film, I really uh, uh, made it the major theme. I must say, in the first three films I made here, I was very consistent in my thematic obsessions. THX definitely is, it's had a lasting impression on George Lucas's films and kind of carried over into the Star Wars world in general. Um, in addition to just kind of themes and ideas, just visual style things are still kind of coming back from this movie. Um, going back and watching it, I'm reminded like, well, I mean, there's the Rebels episode with the, uh, 
where they're like kind of spy guys on the ship with the headphones and the goggles. The big thing with the holograms, there's a lot of holograms in THX and the kind of visual style of holograms as three to kind of three dimensional things with TV scan lines on them that started in THX. A lot of the audio processing kind of things sounding like they're coming back through ham radios and various sort of staticky voices and things that that carried over to the to stormtroopers and the rebel pilots talking that sort of stuff. Um, there's even some kind of shots that are almost exactly out of the other films during the white room prison part when they first see hologram guy who gets them out of there. There's this shot where they see him kind of tiny in the distance and he's waving. I mean, it's pretty much exactly when the sand crawler sees three PO up in the corner waving really tiny. Mm-hmm. When THX is hiding from the police officers in the um, kind of looks like the the Jedi archives. I think that was one of the California phone company building they were filming in, where there's kind of those rows of little computer looking things. Uh, there's basically almost exactly the the shot of Leia peeking her head around the corner when she stuns the stormtroopers, only with THX sticking his head out. We get babies in blue jars right out of Attack of the Clones. The white walls of a lot of the areas in THX kind of come back in the, uh, what, the blockade runner. They come back on Camino. There's a couple scenes of the, the police officers talking to each other that kind of mirrors the uh, either the chit-chat of the stormtroopers, but also the goofy Super Battle Droids in Revenge of the Sith with the more high-pitched voices. Those are pretty close to the THX voices of the of the police officers. Well, yeah, and in a way, like, all of THX world, wherever they are, it's all got that very clean, white, sterile look that was in, you know, in the Stormtrooper uniforms and especially, yeah, in Kamino. Pretty much when Obi-Wan goes to Kamino, he's almost entering THX world. And another good one, which I someday maybe we'll do an episode, is the uh, the Clone Wars Sunny Day in, in the Void episodes. They're pretty much in the prison from THX and Sunny Day in the Void. Yeah. And I mean, that if you remember that Rebel or that Clone Wars episode or group of episodes, it's pretty much droids wandering through the void talking about stuff, which is, you know, the entire middle of the t- of this movie is is that. Ugh. I can't believe I came this close to completing my first mission only to get lost in this detestable desert. Look on the bright side, Colonel. At least it is a sunny day. What sun? I don't see any sun. It's just hot and oppressive. Wait a minute. If there's no sun, how do we know which direction we're going? That's the way out. Well, that's the way we just came yeah, but maybe we're traveling around in circles because that's the way out. How do you know? Well, look. Look more closely, you see? Come on. It was Lucas's first movie, but everything in kind of THX 138, like we were saying, it lays the groundwork for everything that exists in everything we see in the Star Wars movies, the philosophical heavy stuff, some of the weirdness. Laid the foundation for his visual style and philosophy on life that's carried over into his other films, especially the Star Wars universe. It's all there in THX. I wish THX was 
more easy for people to watch. I wish it was on Netflix or like Amazon or some kind of streaming service. I mean, you can rent it on iTunes. I, I wish it was more easily available. And I, I love the, the 2004 director's cut with all the added effects in it. And in my opinion, it just makes it more epically weird. It's neat to see going back that George Lucas didn't like gradually become George Lucas. He kind of was, he, he was who he is kind of right from the beginning. And he let it, he let it all out in this first one, the range of his interests and his style. The edges got softened a little bit as he went forward, but it's it's kind of all here right from the beginning. I've always been me. Never changed. What you see is what you get, people. <laughs> if you've never watched it, try and go out and find it. And if if you've seen it before, but it's been a while, it's a fascinating rewatch. Because I think every time you, the more Star Wars you watch, the more interesting THX-1138 really becomes. They They, they feed into each other. It's a symbiotic relationship, if you will. (laughs) Starting out, I started out being mostly concerned with abstract films and with films that were pure cinema, which were only using visuals and sounds to create emotions. And I realized very much that the unique situation I found myself in, being an American zoetrope, being away from the studios, having them approve the film, the studios being confused about what kind of movies work and what kind of movies don't work. I said, this is my one chance to make, you know, a really avant-garde movie in the mainstream. I may never get this again. You know, this may be a a little open window that's going to close right up again because it's a completely unique opportunity. And so I took it. I mean, it almost brought American Zoetrope down at the end and almost destroyed my career, but it was definitely worth the, the attempt at the time. legendary adventure of the past could be as exciting as Star Wars. Here they come. The more you see it, That's where the, fun begins. the better it gets. Too fast. Star Wars, rated PG, starts tomorrow at a theater near you. iTunes reviews. We were so deep in Return of the Jedi Month, we didn't have time to get through any of those gems that people left for us. But let's read some of the awesome stuff people left for us there on the that iTunes review thing. All right. The first one here is, I did the Blast Points run in 12 parsecs by Mephishko. Mephishko. After Rogue One came out, I started listening to Star Wars podcasts to try to understand why some people hated it so much. I would listen to an episode of some random Star Wars podcast and maybe two of another, but I never understood the point of view of these people and moved on. Then I found Blast Points and listened to 130 episodes straight through. If you haven't done so, hit the archive. There's gold in them thar hills. You guys do a great job of showing it okay to love Star Wars, no matter how goofy it gets. My only problem now is that I have to wait every week for a new episode. Thanks for putting in the effort, guys. It is appreciated. From Mitch. Uh, that's awesome. Yeah, thank you. We're putting them out as fast as we can. Thank you, Mitch. <laughs> this next one is from Rose Arge. Rose Arge. And it's titled Whimsical 
yet strangely informative. Hilarious discussions of obscure Star Wars topics. The Kennedy Day episode earned the coveted honor of causing me to laugh out loud while on public transportation, creeping out everyone around me. Fire on the base! We aim to please. That's that's what we do best. <laughs> I'm very happy to hear at least one person appreciated the Kennedy Day episode, so thank you for that, too. We need to scramble out fighters! Five bloody minutes ago. <laughs> thank you, Rose Arge and Mephishko and you should leave us a review on iTunes when you're done listening so we can read your review on an upcoming show just like we did those two. Super appreciated. Thank you. 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 Hi, J.J. Abrams here. On behalf of the entire cast and crew of Star Wars Episode Seven, thank you. And these last points, too accurate for sand people, only Imperial Stormtroopers are so precise. Check out our website, lastpointspodcast.com. You can listen to the theme music, get recipes, Darthfield comics... Uh, you can get to back episodes that way as well. Also, check us out on Instagram, Twitter, and like us on Facebook. And let us know if you want to join the Super Blast Points Chill group that I say it wrong every week, I think. But it's the place to be. Chat with other Blast Points super fans. And it's like Blast Points 24 hours a day. And don't forget to subscribe to the show wherever you listen. And Keep sharing it out with your buddies and your friends and call up your local TV news channel and tell them to listen to Blast Points. And People that stare at you on the bus when you're laughing. Yeah. Say, <laughs> so don't worry. Just Blast Points. Take their phone from them and have them subscribe to the podcast. Like, listen to the Kennedy Day episode. Write Blast Points on their arm with permanent marker. <laughs> People love that. Well, that about wraps up episode 138 here. Happy to shine a light on the old fantastic THX 138. We'll be back next week with another all new episode. It should be an educational one. <laughs> Get out your pencils and your paper. Yep. It's back to school and we got a treat for you. So tune in. But thank you for listening, everybody. Bye bye. May the force be with you. Goodbye, old friend. May the force be with you.
Apparently, I've never made a film I don't like to watch. And I enjoy this film. You know, I had a great time making it. It was really my sensibility at the time. It's still a lot of my sensibility. I've just gone off on this strange path that is not at all like where I thought I was going to be. This is really the kind of filmmaking I started doing and probably the filmmaking I'm going to go back to someday. It's a much more interesting style of filmmaking than I'm uh, currently find myself in. I, mean, I enjoy doing the, the more traditional, you know, Hollywood-style movies, and I started doing them just to see if I could do it. But these more sort of slightly offbeat movies are really where my cinematic heart is. May the force be with 